Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, March the 3rd. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. Morning, Tom. And on today's briefing, we look at the crisis in Sydney's private schools. An incredible story here, a former Sydney private schoolgirl whose petition on consent training gathered 4,000 stories of sexual assault. The fact that we thought it was normal because it happened to all of us is um, the whole point of this. More on that massive wake-up call for the school system when we interview the young woman behind the petition. First, let's get into the big news of the day. The Cabinet Minister at the centre of a historic sexual assault accusation is expected to make a statement today. It comes after New South Wales Police announced they'd closed their investigation into the alleged 1988 incident because there wasn't enough evidence now that the woman involved has died. She took her own life last year. Michael Bradley, the deceased woman's former lawyer, is calling for an independent inquiry into the allegations. The appropriate course, in my view, would be a form of um, inquiry conducted externally and independently of the government and parliament to inquire fully into the allegation and the surrounding circumstances. That view was echoed by a friend of the woman's, Joe Dyer, on ABC TV last night. There does need to be an independent inquiry to test, to interrogate, and we believe ultimately to establish the veracity of the claims that she made. The Prime Minister has said the man absolutely rejects the allegations. Yeah, and it'll be very interesting to see what the minister involved says for himself if he does indeed front the media later today. Vaccine passports are a step closer. In New South Wales, the Daily Telegraph's reporting that the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, will announce today that people will soon be using their phones to prove their COVID vaccination status as a way of getting into venues. This reportedly involves data sharing with the federal government. So the New South Wales government can then allow people to publicly display their vaccination certificate on the Services New South Wales app. It's expected that could become an entry requirement for some workplaces, clubs, airlines or entertainment venues. It'll be interesting, Annika, to see which places you have to display a vaccination certificate to get into because we can already get into so many of these places. Yeah, I think it's to really out those people that are anti-vaxxers when it comes to the latest jab. What will also be interesting is how well these apps work. I've travelled around a little bit in the last six months and I know that there's vast differences in I guess those login and services apps that the different states run. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because the vaccination's being coordinated by the federal government, but then we're going to have this sort of hodgepodge of of states um, managing these vaccination certificates in different ways, which could be really difficult if you are travelling around the country. You wonder if it would have been better to have more of a, a federal coordination on the vaccine certificate as well. Tributes have been flowing for music legend Michael Gadinsky, who is being remembered as a giant of the industry following his sudden death at the age of 68. This is well-known music industry peer Michael Chug. And I have to say that what's happened today has been unbelievable. The love and respect from all around the world has just been amazing. According to a statement from The Mushroom Group, which Gadinsky founded at just 20 years old, He died peacefully in his sleep in his Melbourne home. Uh, It was a big surprise for a lot of people. There'd been no rumours that he was really struggling. Uh, And when the news broke, it was really sad. Michael Gadinsky helped build the careers of so many big-name Australian acts like Kylie Minogue, The Skyhooks, Jimmy Barnes, Yothu Yindi, and so many more. Uh, He set up the Mushroom Group, which covered basically all sides of the music business. It was a label, a publisher, 
Uh, he was a concert promoter as well. Yesterday, Bruce Springsteen said he was the best promoter he'd ever met and so many other big-name artists have been paying tribute. Yeah, Jimmy Barnes said that the heart of Australian music had been ripped out, which is a really strong and emotional statement. You know, this response has been absolutely huge and I was watching it all, you know, sort of hit the, the media yesterday. I've interviewed him several times on Triple J over the years and there's a few things that really sort of stood out about this guy. I mean, firstly, his success, like what he did for so many Australian artists in building them was incredible. Um, He also worked with pretty much everyone in the whole industry. He even, you know, was in charge of the publishing for the band Client Liaison I was a part of. And then on top of that, it was just this raw passion. He He was still so excited about what he did, even in recent years, even after all the success he'd had in the past, he was always focused on what was going on Right now, here's a little bit of his his voice just to hear. You can just hear the passion in it. You always look on the bright side of life and you make a mistake, there's a positive side to that mistake and you move on. You can just sort of hear that intensity and positivity in that, that old school voice. Fresh remains found on a beach along the New South Wales south coast do not belong to the alleged fraudster Melissa Caddick. Yeah, so these are the remains that were found... Um, reportedly parts of a human stomach, including a belly button at Mollymook Beach on Friday on the south coast. And now the forensic testing has come back saying that it's actually the remains of a human male. New South Wales police said the remains do not belong to Caddick, nor to a 39-year-old snorkeler who's been missing from Batemans Bay since January. Testing's still underway on another couple of body parts that have been found since the shoe was confirmed as Caddick's last week. In a moment, the former Sydney schoolgirl whose petition has sent shockwaves through the school community. A petition by a former Sydney private schoolgirl has rocked the school community. The former Kambala student Chanel Contos posted the petition that called for consent training in schools and the response was enormous. She says 4,000 students and former students responded with stories of sexual assault and harassment. The stories didn't name the perpetrators, but they named a number of very high-profile and prestigious schools in Sydney, like Cranbrook, Scotts and Riverview. It's forced those schools to respond by making public statements. They've also been writing to the parents of their students. We're speaking to Chanel now. She graduated in 2015. Chanel, where did this whole thing start for you? What, What spurred you to do this? I was spurred by the countless experiences that my friends had um, of sexual assault by perpetrators who, to be honest, I don't even think they know what they're doing, uh, that they knew what they were doing at the time and potentially don't even know that they've done that even now. Yeah, my friends came to me about something that happened to them about nine years ago and I was there, I witnessed it. I stopped it, but we had no idea what it actually meant or the implications of what was happening. Um, And just seeing how much of an effect it had on someone so many years later really dawned on me. And then I started the Instagram poll and then it just went from there. So you start this petition and you ask for some responses, but it really took on a life of its own. So what did you expect to happen and what did happen? So my initial plan when I thought about this about a year ago was to collect testimonies from school uh, from students of private schools with their names anonymous, but the schools identified. And I was 
going to do this in private. I didn't realize the media would get involved at all. And I was kind of going to basically collect a book of testimonies relating to each school, go to the school principal and kind of like shock effect, put it on their desk and say, like, you have a massive problem and this needs to change, whether it's victims or perpetrators that mainly go to your school. Obviously, a few things happened. One, um, the media got involved. Two, it got more traction. Three, this meant that I expanded my scope beyond private schools because my intention for that was because I thought that one private schools had um, the flexibility of working outside the curriculum. And I never thought that my petition would have the potential to change the actual New South Wales curriculum, but now I think it does. Um, Anyway, and two, I saw this issue as most prevalent in single sex schools because I think that they heighten all these factors that contribute to rape culture and most private schools in Sydney are single sex. So in terms of numbers, how many people responded? And also on top of that, how many people decided to share stories or testimonies of sexual assault or harassment? So on my Google form, I ended up having about 26,000 responses. Um, But I just launched my website. And because when I was migrating the data, I could only migrate it. um, I gave the requirement that if someone either put their full name or email address So now the responses are back down to about 21, 22,000. And testimonies are at about 4,000 now. However, there's only 1,400 published on the website because I have to vet them before I post them publicly. So they'll be going up slowly, but I have about 4,000 in the database, which I'll be privately showing to MPs and school principals. 4,000 stories of sexual assault or harassment. It's just unbelievable and it shows that what you're doing is so important and the problem is so widespread. What are the range of experiences people have testified about in those accounts? Yeah, so look, it doesn't surprise me at all. Like I know that there's thousands more and I knew that there would be um, this many because I, I saw it, I grew up with it. I saw it happen every weekend to different friends. I saw it happen, you know, every afternoon at the bus stop when grown men cat called us, things like that. The range of testimonies goes from like extremely kind of malicious, disgusting, like planned, weird gang rape to um, bread and butter of rape culture, which is like your high school boyfriend forcing your head down and making you give him head. I mean, I think something that was so telling to me and through all of this, like almost two weeks of absolute insanity of speaking to so many people, one of my really good friends in the year below me at school, um, you know, messaged me their testimony. They said, that a boy forced them to give them head. And I replied saying, I'm so sorry that happened to you, like sending lots of love. They said, ha, 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 as if I give a shit, it happened to all of us. And that was just like the most, like stood out to me so much to just think like, yeah, it's true. Like the fact that we thought it was normal because it happened to all of us is um, the whole point of this. What do you think is the problem here? What do you think is going on in the minds of these young men who perpetrate those kind of, abuses? Firstly, there's toxic masculinity. It's it's the environment we live in that creates this mindset. So the environment we live in is a rape culture. In this rape culture, we put the onus on victims to make sure that they don't get sexually assaulted rather than putting the onus on perpetrators to make sure they don't sexually assault. Mm. So, you know, saying things to your daughter when she leaves the house, like, don't wear that, you'll get raped. That's contributing to rape culture because it makes her think that it's going to be her fault instead of telling, you know, the boys to leave the house, like make sure you respect everyone you interact with tonight's boundaries and bodies. Like that's mm-hmm. how the discourse should be. Um, so in toxic masculinity, which is a big part of rape culture, 
boys' social status are elevated based on them being like aggressive, um, wealthy, good at sport and sexually active. And that's what pushes boys into A, having unwanted sexual experiences themselves because they think that they have to do this. They get social pressures to do this. B, they feel like they're meant to like sex. They're told this narrative that boys love sex. So if they're ever in an uncomfortable position, they don't feel like it would be manly of them to get out of it. They feel like in order to like prove their social status, they have to persist with the situation and often means that a lot of young boys' first sexual experiences are unwanted as well. And I've gotten quite a few of those testimonies. And then C, and most prominently, it means that young boys force girls into doing things that they're not ready to do because they're trying to, yeah, elevate their social status and talk about it, you know, in the locker room on Monday or talk about it at lunchtime. And then there's other factors. Um, So I mentioned the victim blaming, which is tied to rape culture in terms of, you know, victims get questioned when they speak up about sexual assault. Um, I mean, the amount of people who have told me this week that I'm brave for speaking up about this. And it's just like, oh my God, it's the essence of the problem that being called brave is being tied to talking about sexual assault because it just shows how much it goes against just what's normal. The same sexual act will result in one boy being called a legend and another girl being called a slut. All of these things tie in together and make it really hard to understand consent. And consent is currently taught to us in schools, one, too late, and two, it's taught to us as no means no, but that's not good enough because it's it shouldn't be no means no. It should be pretty much anything except yes, please do this with me, means yes. You have this incredible Sorry. trove of testimonies, but at the end of the day, at the moment, I assume most of them are allegations. They haven't gone further up through the legal system. And we do have a rule of law, a justice system that relies on innocence until proven guilty. So how have you managed that? You said you are auditing some of these responses, but what does that mean for passing, I guess, these stories on to politicians and to schools when at this stage they are essentially allegations? It's not so much about what happened in the past. Obviously, if anyone feels they want to get justice for what happened to them, I will 100% support them about their past. But what we're looking to now is the future. We're focusing on the future. And I know that these are just claims of sexual allegations. And I know that in the legal system, it's innocent until proven guilty. But because none of these testimonies pinpoint perpetrators, I don't know why we wouldn't believe the victims. Well, if we don't believe the victims, it is because we live in a rape culture society where victims aren't straight away believed. Um, but I think that it would just be like an insane thought to think that 4,000 people decided to like write up these detailed stories that all add up to the same narrative. Yeah, I personally trust everyone who submitted a statement. I think that if any school came back and said, like, how are you going to prove this? It mm. would just be like mm. the biggest face palm to think, how could you not believe that something really, really bad is happening here? This has hit a lot of schools, not just in Sydney now, but in other states and even overseas. Uh, It's sent shockwaves to the community and many of the schools have responded by contacting parents. What do you make of some of the reactions of the schools and what have you seen so far? There's only been a few statements that somewhere in there hasn't kind of said like, oh, parents, you know, you need to speak to your children about risky behavior and drinking and self-respect more and it's just like that I don't I don't think that people in positions of power are really clicking that they're kind of contributing to this whole like victim blaming discourse by doing that because a girl should be able like obviously you don't want to be blackout drunk but a girl should be able to be unconscious and nothing bad happened to her like she's already in an uncomfortable position someone shouldn't take advantage of her in that situation that's not her fault 
it's just normal to us. It's like trying to explain water to a fish. And I've also heard some schools which really disappointed me saying things to their girls like, you know, don't submit testimonies because it's bad for the reputation of the school. And again, to equate a bad reputation with being a victim of sexual assault is in essence the problem. Where do you see consent training fitting into the curriculum? Should it replace something that's already there? And if so, what is that? Or is it something that needs to be done outside the school setting? So I think it's something that needs to be done in both, from both parents or guardians and in the school. The problem is you can't standardise what parents teach. You know, every parent's going to teach something different. Some people might not address it at all. Some people might grow up in super conservative households where sex isn't talked about. Growing up in a household where sex isn't talked about does not prevent you from being in a situation where you may get sexually assaulted. So it's not really good enough. Schools have the opportunity to be standardised, which also means that it will reduce the likelihood of people perpetrating as well as people being victims. It will address both sides of that issue. I also think that consent needs to be something that's complementary to all levels of education from a young age. You know, I think that some Australian schools have already started putting in ideas of consent into how they, you know, monitor playground play at lunchtime. And that's really great. But we need to be more direct about sexual consent. Um, Someone sent me in an analogy that I thought was really great. It was talking about how teaching consent when you're 16 or 17 or until when you're at uni, when you're out of school, it's like teaching someone to drive after they've had their license for two years. You need to learn about what consent is the same time you learn about what sex is because there's no point knowing what sex is without knowing what consent is. That was 23-year-old Chanel Contos who's sparked a, a massive wave of reckoning in the school system around this issue, Annika. I think it's really important what she's done. As she says, these stories are individual stories and they're up to, I guess, the individual to decide how they pursue that. But when you see them together, the 4,000 stories, it's hard to ignore the fact there is a structural problem, which I think is the point she wants to get fixed. It's been interesting watching all the stories around sexual assault in the last few weeks in the wake of the Brittany Higgins incident in Parliament House. And, you know, it's been women driving a lot of those stories and, and bravely speaking out. Uh, and that's been an important part of the Me Too movement, listening to those stories. But you do have to wonder, where's the male leadership in this space? I think that's actually the perfect way that, you know, this should be handled. It's first women speaking up. They need to be heard. And so much of this Me Too movement was about that, listening to their stories and just letting that sink in without sort of doing, God forbid, that he said, she said thing, which has dominated so much of this debate for years. But there is a role for men in this, and that's about helping shift that culture, whether it's at home as a father or in the school environment or in sporting clubs. So I think it's really important that we do explore that and what needs to change. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do tomorrow on The Briefing. We're going to hear from men, how they're responding to these stories and what needs to be done to change our attitudes. Listener.